Hello, this is Bill Summers. Hi, this is Mike Clark. Hi, this is Ingrid Lucia. Yeah, you're right. This is Dr. John. I'm Mulgrew Miller. This is Idris Mohammed. This is Bobby Bush. Hi, this is Harry Shearer. You're joining me and so many other discerning listeners. You are listening to the WWOZ Interview Podcast. I am more than excited. Words really can't describe it. I'm in the studio with uh, film director Wes Anderson. I, I don't know how this happened. Like The cosmos was in alignment for you to come on to WWOZ. But first of all, it's good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Mark. Thank you for having me. And uh, thanks for coming out. Thanks for coming out so early. I know you got here. What you say? You got here Saturday? Yeah. And uh, so you, you, you were dropped right in the middle of our St. Patrick's Day week-long festival of awesomeness. Ground zero. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Last week was Mardi Gras. This week, St. Patrick's Day. We usually find a reason to throw a pretty good party. Uh, th- this weekend was a full-fledged uh, French Quarter blowout. Right on. And uh, how... Uh, how are you liking New Orleans? And is this your first time here? No, it's not. I'm from Houston, so okay. I've been many times over the over the years, and I have some uh, relatives who live uh, on the other side of uh, Lake uh, Pontchartrain. Um, do I say that right? Yes, yes. you did. Lake, um, lake Pontchartrain, the lake, the, the lake. big body of water. Yes, the huge lake. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I, I I love it here. I I want to I want to I want to uh, get some kind of long term lease uh, around these parts. Have you ever thought about making a movie with new orleans as a backdrop well i thought i've thought about it um you know i had a many years ago i had an idea for a kind of fantasy movie that was set here um but i never wrote the script you know i sort of had some ideas for it you know it, it has such a powerful atmosphere and it's not like any other place anywhere and it's some combination of all these european uh, and American influences and uh, and and African and uh, it's you know it comes from all over the world with this culture here. I agree, I agree totally. But we're here because you have a brand new film out, the Grand Budapest Hotel. Yes. And I want to say I, we said this before in the break room, but thank you for letting me have my own private viewing. That was the, the raddest thing ever. Yeah, yeah. I, I I've rarely had that experience of a, of a screening just for one person. Uh, but it's a, it's, it must be a unique kind of experience. It was awesome. It was Marissa and me, just the two of us in the theater. Around like, it was 5.30, too. So it was really kind of the the theater to uh, give us a whole room to watch yeah. a movie. And uh, awesome. I, yeah, I would ask how it played. But it's sort of not that you can't really judge the the audience reaction when, it's, when you're the only one. I was judging myself when I was laughing out loud. Yeah, and I was good. like, oh, be quiet. Oh, wait, it's just me. <laughs> Sorry, Marissa. Um but amazing movie. Um, Thank you. I was uh, like we were talking earlier. I was I was blown away by the colors and the vibrancy of, and I th- you do that in a lot of your movies. So I feel like you pay attention to the details and want them to be almost. You want people to notice them. Yeah, you know I think um, the kind of movies I do they tend to we tend to have a, I, I tend to set the movies in a place that doesn't really exist. Something that sort of has to be invented. So all the details, that I, all, all all the ideas I'm trying to get into the movie are uh, in 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 that part of it are are um, are about making a world that is convincing and that feels like a real place. Um, I think you know in, you know in this story, it started with a character who is based on a friend of mine. So the it starts with a personal thing, and um, and it's about. Uh, 
a time in Europe. It's about a, a real historical period, but it's a it's a sort of um, invented version of that. You know, it's in a country called Zubrovka that doesn't really exist, but it's like Czechoslovakia mixed with uh, Hungary and Poland or something like that. So anyway, it's it comes from real things, but it is but it is sort of a fantasy version of that. Is that how a lot of your inspiration starts for your movies? A, a personal, a person, or a character, or something in your life? Yeah, usually, usually, I, I the thing I come to realize is ma- making a movie for me, at least, it's not usually one main idea. It's at least two main ideas that get put together. You know, one I, I made a movie uh, years ago that was I wanted to make a movie on a train. That was one idea that I just to do a train movie, and the other idea was. I wanted to make a movie um, in India, um, and I ended up putting them together and doing this story about these three brothers, which I'm one of three brothers, so I kind of used a personal uh, story with these two you know, more abstract concepts, I guess. Right on, and uh, you were saying um, uh, the, the colors and the main ideas, I was also amazed, especially on the, uh, on the chase scene, the sledding scene, that reminded me of Charlie Chaplin... Cecil B. DeMille, like these grand, at some point it almost felt like it was a silent movie and you gave us the added bonus of sound. Of, yes, of, uh, of music, for instance. Yeah, the, um, well, you know, I think it is kind of, uh, without me meaning for it to be, it to be it, it, you know, it's set in the 30s, mo- most of the movie, as you know, and um, it, um, I, it, I think it's sort of, imitating a 30s type movie, um, like what you describe. It's a, uh, it's um, it has a different kind of rhythm, uh, a, a rhythm that's inspired, a, a fast pace that's inspired by the way these old movies used to move so fast, and um, and I guess, you know, the, the, there's a character played by Rafe Fiennes um, in the movie who's a, a hotel concierge, and he talks all the time and he recites poetry, um, but um, but it's uh, but there are long parts of the movie where there's no talking really, and 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 the the character who plays his sort of uh, um, sidekick is um, uh, he barely says anything. I think, and I I really think he is like a silent movie actor, like Buster Keaton or you know somebody from the from the silence. So why don't we give the audience a synopsis of the movie as much as you want to reveal? So. Yeah. Well, it's it's um it's it's about this uh. This this guy who Ray Fiennes plays, he's he's the 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 manager of this big grand hotel in the 30s, and um, he is also very close to all the older women who stay in the ho- in the hotel. Those are his friends, and they're sort of romantic. Uh, you know, he has these many different relationships with these women. One of them dies, and she leaves him a very valuable uh, painting. You know, like a Renaissance type painting, um, and um, and her family doesn't want him to have it, and it's about this sort of battle, which turns into kind of you know a uh, a uh, uh, um, kind of epic uh, um, chase caper. You know, it's a it's a, it's a, it's a, it sort of grows grows. They're, they're villains in the story, and it's also taking place at the time when a war is about to break out in this region so that's sort of uh, building up underneath it um yeah and um so that's more or less the kind of story it is i was thinking um when you were saying chasing it reminded me of almost like a global keystone cops yeah and i go back to that that the chasing with the sled and the skis and 
and the music and like you said the pace um there's also i noticed it was very almost like a fable especially when they get out of the car and head into the hotel to uh Go to the the um, reading of the will. Yeah. When they got out of the car and the snow is just falling, and sometimes you have the music right up, so it's right there, and then sometimes it's it's in the back, almost like you should be hearing it in a dream. Yeah. Yes. Well, you know, there's a kind of music. Yeah. It's you know, this is I I've this is the eighth movie that I've made, and um, this has more music in it than any movie I've done, and it's all almost all of it is original music, new music that which is rare for me to have that much new music. Our our composer is named Alexandre Spla, who's a great uh, French composer who I've worked with on a couple movies. And part part of the year, in fact, we live in Paris, and Alexandre lives three blocks away from me. So it's a kind of we've had a great collaboration over the years. Um, but with this movie. Um, we use this Russian balala- instrument, the ba- balalaika, that's like, you know, man- kind of mandolin. Right. Um, and we got an orchestra from Moscow that we brought to uh, France to record this. And, um, and, it's, and you get 40 of these uh, balalaikas playing at once. And it is, it's like a dreamy kind of sound. It's like a winter wonderland sound. And it can be very forceful, but it can also be just the most delicate thing that you barely notice that's just sort of an atmosphere. Um, so that was a big part of our musical kind of, uh, whatever you want to call it, palette. So you, um, like you said, this was the first one where you, you had this much new music. Is that something you want to keep on doing now that you've experienced it? Well, or the movie will just take it where it goes. It, the, I think the movie usually takes you where it goes. I, the, the last movie I made is called Moonrise Kingdom. That one we had, well, I started with music, mu- music, existing music was part of the big, the inspiration for the movie. I had these Benjamin Britten um, pieces that I thought would be good in a movie. So I sort of wrote scenes to go with this music in part. Um, this this one, I didn't even think about the music until we were in the editing room and had shot the whole thing, written it and shot it and everything. Um, so each each one sort of just, I feel like what happens is it steers you wherever it wants to go, and you're just lucky enough to get there because uh, I, you know, I feel at any moment I could not have the next idea that I need. So I always feel like whatever way it managed to work out, at least, at least we we got there. And in this case, it was it was one of the most uh, exciting ones that I've worked on. The music was awesome. I like I said, it was sometimes it was way up front, sometimes it was in the back. It it was just where it needed to be to accentuate what was going on in the scene. It was it was awesome. Yeah, good. And then Ray Fine's character is hotel concierge, and I'm, uh, there's a lot of people in this city that are in the service industry, so I immediately picked up on that. I, I attend bar, I've run restaurants, so I was all over like his, his sense. Like I feel like he had this impossible bar that even he couldn't live up to, but it was just his mission in life. Yeah. And when he took on his apprentice, you know, there was just... I think the scenes that made it clear for me is when he broke down when he was just himself and he was cursing and he was angry and he was like he let he wasn't the concierge he was just the man yeah were you was that something that was you were thinking about actively yeah well you know or did Rafe bring that to the scene well Rafe very much latched on to the uh you know I think part of this character's thing is for him 
Hey, the the uh, the idea of service and making this experience for the people who come to the place that he manages. Well, this is not. This isn't just a a way to a way to run the hotel well. It's a um. It's sort of his his moral code. You know, it's a, I think he he sees this as uh, as um. You know, for him, it's very very important, and he takes it very very seriously, and um. And it's not just a, it's not just a way to uh, to run the hotel. It's a way to conduct your life, and he wants to impart all these thing, all these concepts about service uh, to his uh, new helper in this story. He's called we call him a lobby boy, um, someone named Zero, and um, and yeah, and they're and they they become very very good friends, and really um, they're all, they're both alone in the world more or less. I mean, Zero meets someone. Um, but um, uh, yeah, that's really. That, I think that's the center of the of the movie. I, I guess it's weird. I I almost liken this too to Batman and Robin. Yeah, like he Lobby Boy was very much did exactly what his mentor told him, but still just had that little piece of his life, like had the love the love interest. Yeah, and um, you you choose your the, your actors well and it seems like when you find somebody you stick with them like bill murray's been in all almost all of your movies owen wilson yeah a good bit of your movies yeah bill and owen have probably both been in uh bill's been in seven owen's been in six or seven um and owen and i the first the first movies the first couple movies i made uh owen and i wrote them together we went to um university of texas together oh sweet Uh, owen and i did um and so we started in movies together and um, and then Bill was in the second movie I made, which is called Rushmore, and he's been in every movie ever since then. Um, so we have, we always have a great time with him. Do they do they just want to be in your films, or are you writing specific characters for them? Like this has got to be Bill Murray's role, whether it's a big one or a tiny bit part. Yeah, sometimes it is. Uh, sometimes it is. Um, uh, very little part. You know, this movie he has a small kind of cameo part. But it's a kind of makes a splash. Um, but in other movies, one you know, one of them uh, called The Life Aquatic, he's in practically every scene in the whole movie. So we've had a whole range of uh, you know uh, kinds of uh, experiences together. And then you have like this is Ray Fine's first movie he's done with you. Yeah. And then like Adrian Brody, this is his second. So it seems like Adrian's second. We 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 have we also have Willem Dafoe. This is the third one we've done together. We have Jeff Goldblum. This is the second. Tilda Swinton, second one. Edward Norton, second one. Um, Jason Schwartzman, it's probably the fourth or fifth. Um, and uh, we have Harvey Keitel. This is the second time I've had Harvey Keitel in a movie, who's a great guy. Who he I was love. awesome in that. I love the way he's he looked. <laughs> it was he's, so rad. Yeah, he's the best. Um, yeah, we've got a lot of characters. And uh, now that you're uh, you're done and you can just relax, you got a. You're on like a tour now of uh, doing some press and stuff. Well, I've been traveling around America, but we've ended up in in uh, in New Orleans. So uh, this is this this to me is the culmination of it uh, being here, uh, which is why it's so great to suddenly be in a radio station here in New Orleans. Uh, it's never happened to me before. Oh well, awesome! Thank you for letting us be the first. I was uh, I was quite shocked when uh, I was told I was going to be interviewing you because uh, I was like, oh, film radio. Yeah. We don't really watch them on it, but uh, we listen to the music. And uh, the show that's on right now is uh, Dan Meyer's traditional jazz show. It's I thought about that a lot, going back to the music in Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, 
I just felt like it had that swing, and there was almost like just some syncopated part, especially in the chase scenes and yeah. when they're uh, when all the hotel concierges are are setting up his uh, his escape. Yeah. So do you have any other big plans while you're here in the city? I just keep eating. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. Well, Wes, I want to thank you so much for. Uh, Coming down in the studio this early in the morning. Yesterday it was kind of warm. Today it's kind of chilly. You never know what's going to happen in New Orleans. Congratulations on Grand Budapest Hotel. And, oh, there's one more thing I wanted to bring up. It seems like some of your movies, like Life Aquatic and um, a few of the other ones, focus on some of the, like, the darker sides of the quirky char- of your characters. And this one focused on positive side. Like, mm-hmm. I thought it was very positive... Was that was that something yeah. you planned on, or just something well, that came out of the movie? I don't usually think about sort of these thematic things, but it's usually some sort of impulse, some feeling about the character. And in this case, on some level, this character has some questionable it's parts of his personality, but I think he's a heroic person, really. Um, and, but both of these two main guys. They're good people, and they're courageous, and they they believe in something. So, um, yeah, I think this is you know I don't I don't I, I think this is one this is one of the movies where I, the hero is a real hero. I agree, and it just it goes. I think it goes back to the service industry. Like Rafe just mm-hmm. wants to serve in whatever capacity, whether it's bringing coffee or tea or spending some time with the ladies. Yeah, um, because they're they're not youngsters. <laughs> no, they're they're old women. And uh, um, yeah, I thought that was. I just like that he that was his job, and like you said, his moral code, and they needed to be taken care of. However, yeah, whatever whatever the cost, whatever it takes. Yeah. So, uh, and that's what we do down here in New Orleans. We like to take care of people. We like to make sure they're having a good time. Um, and uh, thanks for talking to the listeners here at WWOZ. It means a lot to all of us that you took time out of your schedule to come thanks. chat with us. Thanks again, Murph. It's all been, right, been great. You are listening to WWOZ FM New Orleans. It's 90.7 on your dial or WWOZ.org. Great. Thanks for listening to our WWOZ podcast, bringing the voices of New Orleans to the world.